If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 147 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 24th day of July in the year 2022. Before we truly get going today, guys, just a couple of things I want to tell you aside from the fact that I hope you are doing well this week. I hope you had a good week and have a good week coming up starting tomorrow on Monday the 25th, but I just wanted to really take the opportunity for a second to thank all of you so, so much for all of the love and support I've gotten over the loss of my grandmother, my second grandmother inside of six months. It obviously was... And still is very difficult for me. I had a long intro about it last week. And from the moment that I announced it on social media, when she passed away about three weeks ago now already, believe it or not, all the way up to now, it's just been unreal. And I I can't thank you guys enough. You guys are just the best. I love you so much for your support on this show, for the support towards me personally. I just cannot thank you enough. I can't. It's just amazing. If you hear a high-frequency sound in the background, you probably don't. But in case you do, I just want to let you know the TV is on next to me because I literally just got done finishing with Aaron Boone's press conference on the Yankees postgame for today because I'm recording at around 5 o'clock right now, and the game ended not long ago. And on the postgame, Boone just spoke. I wanted to see what he had to say about Aaron Hicks because, of course, if you watched the game today, you know that Aaron Hicks left the game at the end after showing a lot of problems with his leg around the knee area. He seemed to be cramping up, and everybody was hoping that's all it was, and Boone just more or less confirmed that that was all that it was. So everything should be fine with Aaron Hicks. They have a day off tomorrow, then they play the Mets on Tuesday and Wednesday for the first Subway Series of this year starting at City Field. So, I mean, we'll probably know more by then, but it was dangerously hot in Baltimore, like it's dangerously hot mostly everywhere across the planet lately <laughs> with this heat wave we've, we've got going on. This heat wave is ridiculous. You know, you're not going to hear me complaining about it. I love the heat. Like so many of you know, I go into exile during the winter because of my hatred for the cold, hatred of a thousand suns. And it feels like a thousand suns outside right now, but you're not going to hear me complaining about it. My God, I love it. But yeah, that's all that that's what the deal is with Hicks because of the heat. It seemed like he was just cramping up and Boone basically just confirmed that. But yeah, the Yankees just got done with the weekend series in Baltimore. The first two games real close. Just a lot of back and forth and close scoring all the way up to the end. And then today was a game that the Yankees really just probably had to have felt good to have because between the back and forth action, the tough losses in Houston on Thursday. And the Yankees just still cannot seem to beat that damn team. They just better figure it out for the playoffs. That's really all that matters at this point. That's really all there is left to say on the matter. Obviously, this regular season, they've had a very difficult time beating them. They just, I don't know. 
I'm tired of watching the Astros just completely own the Yankees, especially when it's mattered. Trust me, I'm very tired of it. And Thursday was not pleasant at all. But now all that matters is October, if you're to run into them, which they probably will, because inevitably, basically any path to the World Series is likely going to have to be run through Houston at one point or another. So they're going to have to figure it out if they have World Series plans, the Yankees, which of course they do. But if they want to fulfill those plans and achieve them and succeed, they're going to have to figure out a way to freaking beat these guys and learn how to hit their pitching because that's the main thing. (laughs) They may have scored five runs in game two, but that was mainly because of a three-run tank job by Aaron Judge towards the end, not taking anything away from him as he continues his remarkable season that there's just really not much else to say about at this point. But other than that home run, they only scratched across two two runs on a two-run shot by Glaber earlier in the game, and that was it. And in game one, they only scored two. One of them in the ninth inning by an RBI single by IKF, a, a rare clutch moment for him. He's done good lately. He's on a 12-game hitting streak. But otherwise, let's not pretend like Isaiah kiner falefa has done anything crazy here, okay? But other than that, which that was a good late-game rally, not taking anything away from it, but again, only two runs in that first game, two runs and then the late three-run shot by Judge when they were down 7-2 to already in the games in Houston as the Yankees just continue to not be able to hit their pitching. And they were able to get a run off Christian Javier in Game 1 on the solo shot by DJ, but that was it. And that was also when Javier was definitely not himself. Nowhere near the Javier that we saw pitch seven no-hit innings at Yankee Stadium. Nowhere near that. He was having trouble locating, the fastball was way off, and they still only mustered up a run against him on a DJ solo shot. And DJ's been incredible lately, too. My God, is he on a tear. As his OBP is hovering around 400 now, with his batting average heading towards 290 again. DJ is really doing the thing. (laughs) He is doing great. But, yeah, ugly games in Houston, not fun. Obviously, the walk-off, thanks to a slow infield dribbler, and the shift, with IKF playing out of position, not his fault, it's the shift. But... That was an extremely irritating way to watch that game end as the Yankees just couldn't get any runs across. Same thing again except for just the two home runs by Glaber and Judge. Big home runs, not going to lie. Resulted in five runs, I'm not going to deny that. But again, just having trouble coming through with big hits and a lot of runners in scoring position situations. And for the most part, that really did continue in Baltimore, especially yesterday. I mean, the Yankees did score three runs yesterday in Saturday night's game. But my God, dude, (laughs) how many people? They left a continent's worth of base runners on base. It's unbelievable. They couldn't, they scored three runs, and then after that, they just stopped. How many innings were the bases loaded? Did they have multiple runners on base? I'm telling you, they left a continent's worth of men on base yesterday. The runs they did push across, mainly thanks to Aaron Judge, were on an RBI double by Judge in the top of the first, a solo shot by Matt Carpenter, again, a.k.a. Jesus Christ at this point, and then an RBI single by Judge in the top of the fourth. Then they went to sleep for the rest of the game because they could not get runners in with runners in scoring position. I think they went one for 14. And the Orioles were like four for, I don't know, like 11 or 12? I forget exactly, but they were much better. That's the point. But then, of course, yet again, again, today the Yankees had a game that a lot of people would argue they would have very much liked, and they got it. 
won 6 to nothing. very comfortable game. Nestor Cortez went out there in the heat and did a great job. Six shutout innings, six hits, no walks, just seven strikeouts, did a fantastic job. And the offense, again, partially thanks to Aaron Judge because he just can't mention this man enough. A, a two-run, saying nuke or any other big word to describe a massive home run just doesn't do any of his home runs justice anymore. Just like no word to describe his season just does it justice anymore. Because that's what it's gotten to with Judge at this point. A two-run bomb today. First, 37th now. On July 24th, this man's got 37 home runs. He's now over 80 RBIs with 81. 294 average. OPS of 1,026. Let alone all the other stats, it just goes on and on and on. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. 650 slugging, 376 on base. <sighs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But he was definitely a big part of it with his with his huge two-run homer today. DJ got an RBI double again. He's been doing a great job. Isaiah Kainer-Falefa got his RBI single to continue his hitting streak. Jose Trevino, RBI double. Trevino went 4-for-4 four four today. <laughs> Hell of a day for him. Hicks got his RBI single in the top of the ninth before he left the game with what seemed like an Aaron Boone has confirmed, more or less, cramping. So, But the Yankees did have a game that they really needed today. and It's sort of a confidence booster as they go into an off day and as they head to City Field to face the Mets who don't look very good coming out of the All-Star break against the Padres. But listen, the Mets have had themselves a very nice season, so this Subway Series should be very interesting. They'll see each other again in a few weeks at Yankee Stadium for their second set of two games, only four games total between the two this year. But the Yankees did take the series in Baltimore today. That's very good. But really, really odd week this past week, guys. A lot of things happened since we spoke last Sunday. And the Yankees got done against Boston, which... <laughs> Anybody seen the Red Sox games this weekend? <laughs> oh my god. I'm telling you. I think they're in free fall, guys. It is unbelievable. Between the other night when they lost to the Blue Jays 28-5, to I think that was Friday. <laughs> it was freaking... That is nuts. As they continue... But has anyone seen... I mean, it happened in the Yankees series, so obviously my fellow Yankee fans have seen it, but maybe some others haven't out there. Because it did happen in the Yankees series at Fenway. But for those who haven't seen it, have you have got to see how much trouble the Red Sox fielders are having with fielding at Fenway Park. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this out of any past Red Sox players or anything. Maybe these guys need to get used to playing at Fenway. But like players like Arroyo, for instance, who just lost the ball in right field on that Gallo would-be triple when the Yankees were playing there. And then you see Duran against the Blue Jays this past weekend in that 28-5 to game. A, a fly ball by Tapia, and then he just loses the ball in the sky. It lands like 30 feet behind him on the warning track, and the guy gets an inside-the-park grand slam. <laughs> it is unbelievable. The fielding difficulties going on over there, both from new guys and experienced Red Sox players. And... Just the weekend overall, I mean, I just had to go on that tangent because I mentioned the Red Sox, and that just popped into my mind, the kind of weekend they've had. And 
you got to know that any Yankee fan out there will always laugh at the plight of the Boston Red Sox. It's just hysterical. Oh my God, it's so funny. <laughs> but I know a lot of my fellow Red Sox fans out there, very good friends of mine, I know that they're suffering. But I would expect you to do the same if the Yankees were falling apart. And respectfully, I'm doing the same with my arch rival and your team falling apart. So I hope you understand that. <laughs> and a lot of those friends actually happen to listen to this show too. I know that for a fact. And I thank them. They're awesome. But I will never not laugh at your team going down like the Hindenburg. <laughs> Just so you know. But other than that, guys, yeah, really weird week. And the Red Sox just being another factor in it. But a lot of things happened this past week with All-Star Week. I guess I'll start off with that. First of all, All-Star Week, Juan Soto won the Home Run Derby. The Home Run Derby was a lot of fun. I loved the show that Albert Pujols put on. I kept on just going, ah, you're doing great, young man. Keep on going. Freaking guy gets past the first round, gets past Kyle Schwarber, and actually does a very nice job in the second round as well with little to no bonus rounds as well. I mean, what a great job by Pujols. He had himself a blast at this All-Star Week, I mean, it is awesome to see him right out into the sunset as badly as I want to see him hit 700 home runs. I want it so badly, dude. <laughs> I want to see him hit 700 home runs so badly. He's within 15 of them. I don't know if it's going to happen in time. It probably won't. They keep on saying this is his last year. I, I It doesn't sound like he's going to want to come back for another year. But it would just be rough to retire, like, within 10 of 700. Oh, my God. <laughs> but just awesome watching him have the time of his life at this home run derby and actually not do that bad a job. But Juan Soto, in the end, just he, he paced himself very well throughout, ended up winning. Of course, speaking of Juan Soto, the rumors as the trade deadline gets closer... We are only within a week and a half or so of said deadline now, so especially when I talk to you next Sunday on the 31st, and we're only a couple of days away from the deadline, if no moves have happened yet by then, then the discussion will be even hotter than it is now. So the discussion is still blazing hot here on July 24th as we get closer and closer to the August 2nd deadline. But of course... Even more so after Juan Soto wins the Home Run Derby. Not that the Home Run Derby holds too much value, or any at all, therefore. But, <laughs> the discussion and the rumors about Juan Soto, after what we spoke about last week, about him turning down that monster contract offer by the Nationals, $440 million over about 15 years. Since he turned that down, the discussion over him has gotten crazy. <laughs> And it has continued this past week with rumors even heating up that the Yankees have contacted the Nationals about him. Of course, that makes Yankee fans go even crazier in speculation that they've already gone. I've already myself spoken a ton about the fact that I just don't see Juan Soto coming here as very realistic. But who knows, it could happen since the Yankees have apparently been in contact. You never know for sure. I could be wrong. So I'm not going to say it definitely won't happen. But I just find it difficult to imagine it happening. Especially considering what happened this past week with Michael King, which we'll get to in a second. The fact that Luis Severino is still gone and, and the end of his no-throwing time period is coming to an end. But you don't know what it's going to be like for, for him coming back. He's still going to have an innings limit ultimately. And what happens with him when they go to the playoffs? Will they use him in a bullpen role? Will they still keep him in the rotation? Probably keep him in the rotation. But it's not a guarantee that when he comes back, he'll stay healthy. 
You just don't know because of how long he went without having a full season's worth of starting. So the need for pitching seems to be getting more and more important. So people's attention turns back to Luis Castillo a bit, like mine. I'm one of those people. Trust me, I would not mind going after an outfielder like Juan Soto. Would not have a problem with it. But pitching, especially in light of Severino, and especially Michael King now since last night, also rears its head again as another reminder as being another need, potential need. So, amidst all of that happening, trade deadline getting closer, Juan Soto winning the home run derby, discussion continues to heat up about that. (laughs) There was also rumors speaking of Juan Soto and outfielders that the Yankees are becoming serious contenders for Andrew Benintendi, which we have spoken at great length about for weeks now. Andrew Benintendi possibly coming to the Yankees. What are the chances? Would you want him compared to other options, like a Juan Soto or an Ian Happ? And of course, there's the whole issue that he couldn't go to Toronto. So many people were basically saying that that was more or less a revelation that he is not vaccinated, and that might be a problem if the Yankees, for the remaining regular season games in Toronto, but considering the division lead, that's not as much a concern as it would be if they are to meet in the playoffs and you are to go to Toronto. And if Benintendi is still potentially unvaccinated, then he wouldn't be able to play there like he wasn't able to play there when the Royals went there not long ago. So that's still a concern for a lot of people, myself included. I'm a full believer in choosing whatever you want for your own body with this sort of a thing. And in general, I'm just, I'm very much a believer in general of just people making their own choices for their own bodies, (laughs) and this included. So if that's what Benintendi wants to do, then I believe that's fully his right. But that does present a bit of a problem just from the baseball perspective, the fact that he couldn't play there if you are to have a playoff series there potentially. That is a problem that I myself do have some concern over. So I'm not really sure. I mean, if the Yankees do get him, I guess they either don't really much care about that or considering they seem like they want everybody on the same page with this, so this isn't a problem. Maybe they have assurance that maybe he'll get vaccinated upon coming here. I don't know. (laughs) None of us truly know what goes on behind the scenes unless you're a beat reporter or within the Yankees organization or work with the Yes Network maybe or just any sort of capacity like that. Us regular fans like me do not know for sure. We're here speculating like a bunch of yentas, okay? (laughs) So that's the deal with that, but we'll see as the rumors continue to heat up about Benintendi as well. So rumors are heating up as the deadline gets closer. So a lot of discussion about that, especially amidst Juan Soto and the whole outfield discussion, him winning the Derby. As far as the All-Star game itself, the American League won again. Nothing new to see there. <laughs> the main takeaway from that, well, John Carlo achieved liftoff on a two-run rocket to left center field that almost left Dodger Stadium. <laughs> And those were two key runs considering the American League just won 3-2. to two. He also won the All-Star Game MVP, as he deserved to. Nestor pitched a scoreless sixth inning. Trevino caught him a bit and got a hit himself. And the discussion between them while it was going on, because a ton of players were mic'd up. That was a lot of fun. Between him and Trevino being mic'd up, and plenty of others, a blast. So those are the main All-Star Game takeaways, especially Yankee-wise. That's really all there is to say about that, but entertaining all-star week I guess the all-star game wasn't too exciting just three to two just mainly a lot of good pitching happened also the MLB draft happened last Sunday by the time I was done recording it had just started so it hadn't happened yet by the time I was recording in round one I'll just mention the first two rounds 
A lot of people are talking about this. The Yankees selected outfielder Spencer Jones out of Vanderbilt University with the 25th pick in the first round. And with the 61st pick in the second round, the Yankees got right-handed pitcher Drew Thorpe. So those are the first two-round picks for the Yankees. Draft happened a week ago. Then, of course, the All-Star festivities took place. Thursday came around after the Wednesday day off after the festivities for the All-Star break were over. Thursday came around, and for the doubleheader in Houston, the Yankees did appoint J.P. Sears as the 27th man on the roster for the doubleheader. He would, of course, be sent right back down afterwards. They also reinstated Domingo Herman from the 60-day injured list so that he could pitch the second game for some reason. And in case you didn't watch the game, which I know many of you, if not all of you who are listening to this, probably did, or at least heard what happened, but for those who didn't, you will definitely understand why I say for some reason, because Domingo Herman was a disaster. But we'll get into that later in recap. Also, afterwards, they ended up DFAing Ryan Weber. Not the first time that would happen, but sad to see that happen. Ryan Weber, the Yankee legend, as many people like to call him, jokingly or seriously. But he's done well when he's pitched. So we'll see what ends up happening with him. Now, the other main pieces of news that came out are unfortunately because of what happened last night, or rather Friday night, in a huge, devastating blow, not only to the Yankee bullpen overall, but because of what he's meant to this team, what his success has meant to this team, also to the whole team at large, being a huge blow for the entire ball club. But Michael King fractured his elbow while pitching Friday night against the Orioles, and... This really sucks. (laughs) When this happened, I was very sad. And And you could definitely tell that it was an elbow thing right away because right after he threw the pitch, his... His arm almost went like a 90-degree angle, like his elbow tensed up, it bent, and then all of a sudden you just saw it drop, and his arm dangled, and he didn't bend it back up again at all. Trainer was looking at it, looking at the elbow mainly. I'm pretty sure a couple of people even mentioned a hot mic on the field, hearing the trainer say his elbow popped or something along those lines. Regardless, it was easy to tell that it was his elbow right away, and of course, all of us Yankee fans feared the worst, and unfortunately, our fears became a quick reality, because right after the game, they announced that it was a fractured elbow. More testing's being done, of course, even as we speak. Tommy John surgery is a possibility, but regardless, it is a season-ending injury, and the Yankees placed him on the 60-day IL, so it's going to be a very long time until we see Michael King again. If he gets Tommy John surgery, possibly might even miss most of or all of next year, too. It's just devastating. It's a devastating blow for this team. I mean, you look at the main factors of what have made the Yankees as successful as they've been this year, and Michael King has got to be towards the top of their list, along with guys like Judge, Stanton, Clay Holmes, much of the Yankee rotation like Nestor, Cole, Montgomery's put out plenty of respectable starts. Tyone may be struggling as of the last few times out, but for most of the first half, he was really, really good. Luis Severino, especially considering what his injury history has been for the last few years and how long he's gone without having a full season's worth of starting, or even just a fraction of a season's worth of starting, had done really well. Of course, he's out with injury right now, but the starting pitching up to this point, they started to falter a bit a few weeks ago, as we saw, but you can't argue that for the vast majority of the year, they have been behind a a major amount of the Yankee success, as has the bullpen, just the pitching overall, 
especially guys like Holmes, Michael King, even Clark Schmidt. He's been out in the bullpen for a chunk of the year now, and he's done great. Did a great job again today, earning his first big league save by pitching three shutout innings. But guys like this, mainly behind the Yankees' success. Other guys in the offense, too, other than ju- just Judge and Stanton. Of course, Matt Carpenter's done great. DJ LeMayhew's done great. Anthony Rizzo's hit a lot of home runs and contributed a lot of run production. Um, Trevino's done a fantastic job since coming over, obviously. Glaber, even though he's taken a nap for much of this weekend, evidently, <laughs> with the way his gameplay's been for much of this season, Glaber seems to be back in his groove. Just a lot of guys, but particularly on the pitching and especially the bullpen end, Michael King is right up there with main reasons why the Yankees have been so successful. He's up there. Two best pitchers in the bullpen throughout the majority of the season, the whole season so far, Clay Holmes and him. So losing him with what he's meant to this team and their success up to this point and knowing that he's not going to be rejoining the team this year after what he's meant to it is just devastating. That is a horrific blow for the Yankees. I'm not saying a deflating blow. The Yankees still have so much to hang their hats on. I mean, they're a great team. They've gone through the little funks here and there, but any team does that, as frustrating as it is. And they have their flaws in their team, as frustrating as that is, but every team's got them. But losing Michael King... Not saying it's going to deflate their season. They have guys who will have to step up. Bullpen was a little short this weekend because of this, but it's a big blow. Big, big blow for the Yankees. So whatever happens going forward, Tommy John or otherwise, and just recovery and rehabbing probably won't be till next year. I just wish Michael King the best. And the speedy recovery is as quick as possible and as efficiently as possible. Because he will be missed from this team. And I don't think anybody's going to forget what he's meant to this team. For the last couple of years especially. He even had it last year very good. So, tough one, man. Really, really tough. When this happened on Friday, even though they won a good game, they held on for the 7-6 victory. That win partially felt like a loss because of what happened to King. Not good. So... We have to see that true character of the bullpen now. True character of the team as a whole after suffering a loss like this. so Also, other roster moves happening. LeCastro was also optioned back to AAA after this happened, so the Yankees were open to making two moves to bringing two guys back up here as a result of the Michael King loss. They recalled Clark Schmidt, who I just mentioned before, of course, from AAA, already did a very nice job today, but when they did this, I was automatically happy. Very glad to see Clark Schmidt come back up here. Stretched as a starter, In AAA, as I mentioned the last couple of weeks, so good to see him back and knowing that he could basically fulfill any and all roles. That's definitely a good Michael King substitution, even though it's it's tough to fill those shoes with what he's meant. But this is probably your next best without looking outside of the Yankee organization. Clark Schmidt, able to pitch multiple innings, able to get out of huge jams, just, just put up great performances in general have a mix of different pitches in his arsenal. This is probably the next best in the organization to fill the shoes of Michael King, so... Really nice to have Clark Schmidt back. And the Yankees also did sign Shane Green to a major league contract. Just got him back in a minor league deal a little while back, if you remember. After he was here all the way back in 2014, before he was traded in the DD trade when the Yankees got DD. 
Anybody remember that? I do. (laughs) Well, he was back with the Yanks after all these years to help at least temporarily with the loss of King. And I say was back, and temporarily at least for the time being, because while he did have a good year with the Yanks back in 2014, good year in 2017 with a 266 ERA, 230 ERA in 2019, all-star reliever, 260 in the shortened 2020 season. Last year was rough, and this year he had only pitched two scoreless innings for the Dodgers so far, after the two runs he unfortunately gave up last night as well. But the reason I say was back, and temporarily, again at least for the time being, was because he's already been DFA'd since Ron Marinaccio is back as of today. <laughs> so, very short-lived experience for Shane Green. We'll see what happens after the DFAing since that only just happened. But, as of now, he did not have a good outing last night. Got two outs and then allowed a walk and a two-run bomb to Urias to left center field, which is now a very difficult area, as we know, in Camden Yards to hit a home run as opposed to before, when it was much easier with the lower wall and the fence is closer in. But, nonetheless, he has been DFA'd right away with Marinaccio's return. That is another big return for the Yankees. Glad to see Marinaccio back. He was placed on the IL a few weeks ago with that dead arm, so I'm very happy he's back, not only this soon, but just in general. But as far as Clark Schmidt, we know he's been terrific. I mean, him coming back is huge to me. We know he's been up here this year, which has been awesome after all the years of injuries and whatnot for him. He really was in the woodworks there with the injuries for a long time, many years. And like I said, he'll probably be the one most closely to lessen the blow of losing Michael King. I mean, stretched out as a starter, could throw multiple innings out of the pen. Just a great guy to have around. So we'll see what happens as far as that. Hicks today, of course, was dealing with the injury problems, like I said, being the fact that it looked like he was having a lot of trouble with his leg. I mean, the way after he got his RBI single, the way he was gingerly trotting to first base, it looked like he kept on having to straighten his leg out, having trouble with his left leg, his knee area perhaps. But it just seemed to be some cramping in the heat, and Boone more or less confirmed that again. Just want to get that point across for those who hadn't heard about that. So you factor all of that in, <laughs> all of the rumors, which I imagine we're going to get to even more so later in what I have planned for the social media segment for today. Yes, we do have a social media segment today. Like I said last week, we would have. We are coming back this week with a Q&A. You ask, I answer. And with the trade deadline continuing to get closer and closer, I imagine with the Yankees' potential needs combined and the fact that it is getting closer that a vast majority of the questions later on will be potential moves oriented (laughs) around the trade deadline. So I imagine there's plenty more time to address the rumors of Juan Soto, Andrew Benintendi, Luis Castillo, and any other pitching options, any other outfield options, maybe reliever options out there for the bullpen. Now that King is gone, if the Yankees don't already think that they have enough to compensate for that in their own system... in their own organization. Plenty of time to address all the rumors in what I imagine will be very rumor-oriented Q&A segment. (laughs) So we'll get to all that later on. And you factor in all that news, all that news (laughs) with the games that we've had since returning from the All-Star break. Like I said, eventful, hectic, Wacky week. (laughs) Really odd. So why don't we get to recapping those games and really going in on what really made this week kind of crazy for the Yankees. So 
They're back five games in. They have won two out of their last five, so they're two and three in the first five games back from the All-Star break, two of them against Houston, three of them in Baltimore in the series they just wrapped up, having won the rubber game matchup and taking the series before their off day tomorrow. But let us discuss those five games. A little bit of a lessened recap this week because of the All-Star break, but hey, that is the time of season we're in, as August is just around the corner, my God. The dog days of August, how crazy is that? Let's get to recapping, my friends. Yapping Yankees time machine, let's go! That was a loaded intro, wasn't it? (laughs) All right, guys. So obviously starting with Thursday because the All-Star break, the Yankees didn't return to action until Thursday. Most people, most teams didn't return until Friday. But the Yankees did have a doubleheader against the Astros in Houston on Thursday as a part of those makeups for missing the first week because of the CBA postponements. So these were a couple more makeup games from the first week of the season. And the doubleheader in Houston unfortunately went like many of us in the back of our minds very well knew it could. Very frustrating, both of these games. First game was started by Montgomery. Right away in the bottom of the first, he gave up an RBI single to Alex Bregman, and then Corey Lee got an RBI double to make it 2 to nothing. But then after that, Montgomery always seems to do that a lot in his past number of starts. Gives up a run or two in the beginning and then just really like figures it out and ends up giving a lot more length than you expect. So his final line, I mean, the beginning of his start was rough, getting into a lot of trouble, but also getting out of trouble. But then the length that he ends up going makes his line actually look pretty good. He ended up going six and a third, seven hits allowed, only the two runs in the first and second innings, only one walk and eight strikeouts. So ultimately, not a bad start at all for Montgomery. He grinded down, found his stuff, and found his way into the seventh inning. So, not bad at all. But again, another exhibit right here of the Yankees in puzzling fashion. We've seen this a lot going back a couple of weeks now in a great deal of games, but again, in a couple of games right away after the All-Star break, this game being one of them, the offense just not really able to get those runs across. Problems of old. Bad numbers with runners in scoring position, just not really getting too many other rallies started in a lot of other innings, not really having a lot of competitive at-bats at times, just it's weird. I mean, yes, again, like I said, even the best of teams go through those little funky phases. I get it. I get it. But just odd. It's happened quite a bit here on and off the last, like maybe like two or three weeks, maybe even a little bit more here here and there at times. But then in the top of the fifth, after they were down two to nothing, DJ got the Yankees on the board with the one and only run against Christian Javier, despite him, again, being a bit off. His location was not on point, especially not like it was at Yankee Stadium on this day for this day game, this doubleheader game in Houston. This is the one and only run the Yankees would score against him. Solo shot by DJ, his ninth of the year in the top of the fifth, made it two to one. And the score would stay that way all the way through to the ninth, where Isaiah Kiner-Falefa decided to come through with an RBI single, big RBI single, I'll give it to him, to tie the game at two. And then the bottom of the ninth came around, and Michael King was in the game. He loads the bases, (laughs) so innings not looking good. 
Leadoff single for Bregman, a double by Diaz, second and third, nobody out. He did strike out Yuli Gurriel, but then Jordan Alvarez, who just got back from injury, and boy, did he look good, especially in game two. Michael King decided to intentionally walk him, and he struck out Chaz McCormick, so the bases were loaded, like I had said, with one out at one point. He struck out McCormick, so it looked like he could have gotten out of it. One more out with the bases loaded, but then of all people to do it, J.J. Matajevic is up next, pinch hitting for Corey Lee, and he hits an infield dribbler to the left side, shift is on. IKF can't get to it soon enough, throws to second base to try to get any sort of a force, nobody's there to cover, run scores, Astros walk it off in a very frustrating game with, again, just lack of scoring. Really frustrating, especially since it looked like Michael King was actually going to get out of that jam. So, it just sucks. That, that game really sucked. And then the nightcap, when we were hoping the Yankees would bounce back, my god did they not. Domingo Herman returning off the 60-day IL after being hurt for the entire season up to this point. He's missed a ton of time from injury the last couple of years, as we know. And whenever he was to pitch in the last couple of years, he just has not gotten the job done. And my God, did he suck in this game. <laughs> I'm just going to come out bluntly and say that. Three innings of work, and in those three innings, six hits, five runs, all earned, walked a batter, and only struck out two. Bottom of the first inning, solo shot, Jordan Alvarez. Solo shot, Alex Bregman. Bottom of the second, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, remember when I said he looked good in the nightcap? I wasn't lying. Two-run double, made it 4 to nothing. Alex Bregman again, RBI single, made it 5 to nothing. So those two doing all the damage, but enough damage to, to be sure. 5 nothing, looking real bleak at this point in Houston as the Yankees just continue to struggle at Minute Maid Park and against the Astros overall this year. Just really not looking good. Top of the third, Glaber did manage to get them on the board with a two-run shot, though. Made it 5-2. to two. But then three innings later in the bottom of the sixth, the Astros managed to get those two runs right back on a two-run shot by Chaz McCormick on a rare mistake by J.P. Sears, who, by the way, yes, is another terrific depth piece the Yankees have in order to lessen the blow of losing Michael King on the subject of losing him. But very rare mistake by him. It's bound to happen, especially considering how great J.P. Sears has been. He's bound to make a mistake eventually. <laughs> so two-run shot given up to McCormick by him. That made it 7-2. to And the game pretty much felt over. Top of the ninth got a little interesting because that was when Aaron Judge hit that three-run bomb I mentioned to you before to make it 7-5. to That basically went out of Minute Maid Park past the train tracks over the big wall out there. Really big shot for Judge. Massive, mammoth shot. His 34th of the year. That made it 7-5. to But the Yankees couldn't muster anything up after that. So they get swept in the doubleheader in Houston. Not fun. Just because, Not only just because the Yankees just can't seem to win against them this year. but And of course have lost in so many big spots in the past that we know about, obviously. Which make the history between these two teams so tense. But... If you care about having the best record in the league at this point in the year, in general, which would give you home field advantage all throughout the playoffs, leading up to the World Series, and if you have a better record than the National League team, home field advantage for the World Series as well. But if you care about home field advantage, that allowed the Astros to creep up on the Yankee record a little bit. Now they're only a couple of games behind them, record-wise. Not good. 
So if you care about that sort of a thing, having the best record in the league for that, then it's not good. And this wouldn't be the first time that the Yankees were hoping to get home field, but then didn't. 2019. (laughs) So, yeah, if you care about that sort of a thing and really just hoping that you get home field advantage throughout the entirety of the playoffs, especially against the Astros, because the Yankees have lost both in 17 and 19 to them at the end of the series at Minute Maid Park, whereas if the Yankees had home field, those last two games would be at Yankee Stadium, which make a big difference, especially when it comes to the Yankees. Their gameplay at Yankee Stadium is obviously better. So if you care about that sort of a thing, then not great that this doubleheader sweep happened. And if the Yankees are to meet them again, which they probably will, because any path to the World Series will likely, inevitably, pass right through Houston, then they're going to have to figure them out. And yes, I even mentioned this on Twitter. I am aware of the fact that a vast majority of the Yankees and Astros games are very close. The final score, that is. Now, the Yankees didn't have a single lead against the Astros in any of these games. Not a single lead. The two games that the Yankees did happen to win this season series and the seven games they played against each other were both on walk-offs. So throughout the entirety of the game, before those walk-offs, in any of these seven games, the Yankees did not have one lead against the Astros. Yet the final score was still close in all of them, at least within three runs or so, or closer. The vast majority of the games. So, I said that this was the problem a while back, even even going back to when they played their four at Yankee Stadium, and this held true to the one that they played on that random Thursday a couple of weeks ago, and now this doubleheader this past Thursday. But the Yankees' problem against the Astros right now, without a shadow of a doubt, is definitely their inability to hit the Astros pitching because the Yankees pitching as we've observed has actually held down the Astros hitting pretty well the only exception in this case being game two with Herman just completely collapsing which is to no one's surprise because I think we're all fed up with Herman at this point based on what happened in his personal life and he's not even making matters any better with his on-field performance Not to say that that could eliminate what he did in his personal life, because what he did in his personal life was absolutely horrible. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is just, it at least helps with some people that amidst your path to redemption, potential redemption, at least do your freaking job correctly. (laughs) But all he's done has not do the job correctly, since all of that happened, or be injured. So, except for game two of the doubleheader, That's really the only time that this doesn't apply. But otherwise, Yankee pitching, starting, and bullpen has kept the Astros' bats fairly down. They've done a very nice job. A lot of these games were low-scoring affairs and very close ones. So, the Yankees need to figure out how to hit their pitching. Verlander, of course, it's going to be very difficult for that. Because even despite his age and the fact that at his age, he just got back from Tommy John surgery and he's still doing what he's doing. He just seems damn near invincible at this point, if not actually invincible. They have clearly had trouble against Christian Javier. They've had trouble against their bullpen a bit. So if the Yankees just even so much as a little bit more 
figure out Houston's pitching, the Yankees will take control of a series against them. That's a big if, because they have not been able to do that, and have shown no signs of being able to do that in any, really, of the seven matchups they had. The one day that they really did was with the first walk-off in the first game they won against them when Ryan Presley blew the save. And Aaron Hicks hit that colossal home run. But that's the main key to unlocking being able to finally freaking beat the Astros and having them stop being our daddy already. Figure out how to hit their pitching. Yankee pitching, for the vast majority of the time, has done a very nice job against their offense. The Yankee hitting has been pitiful. With runners in scoring position, competitive at-bats-wise against their pitching, horrible. Horrible. Figure it out. Figure it out for the playoffs, because even Boone... Went in the post-game press conference preaching about how, you know, October, the playoffs, is all that matters now. And we'll have to figure it out when we get there. Well, you better. Losing a third freaking time, especially amidst a historic season like this one. (laughs) I don't have to tell you how bad of a look that would be for this organization. So that's basically the one takeaway amidst, of course, not being happy about the doubleheader result, and by far losing the season series, only winning two out of the seven, and those two wins arguably being miracles. And a win is a win, but the Astros really just seemed to be in control of the Yankees this time around this season. And of course, not to mention the past, like I mentioned in the playoffs. But amidst being very upset by that, I will admit that I agree with Boone's sentiment, but they'd still better get it done. The fact that they need to figure it out for the playoffs, and the playoffs is really all that matters at this point. It is. There's nothing else you could do about the gameplay against the Astros this regular season because you're not seeing them again. You're going to make the playoffs if you're the Yankees. Even if you play the rest of the season under 500, you're going to make it. The season's been that incredible to this point. You would have to have a collapse of epic and incomprehensible proportions to not. (laughs) So... When you get there, and you are on your path to the World Series, and you likely, inevitably, run into Houston, that is the only thing that matters at that point. And you've got to figure it out. You've got to finally beat this team, especially, and most importantly, on that big stage. It has got to happen. Not only because of the rivalry and what the matchup between these two teams has meant for the last few years and the tense history that is there. But mainly because of this historic run the Yankees are on and what this would mean to finally beat them and move on to finally winning the World Series again, which would no doubt be an appropriate end to this remarkable season. It has to happen. You cannot allow this team to stop you again, especially amidst this season. All that matters now is the playoffs. I agree. You try to lock up home field advantage as well and keep the best record not only in the American League, but in Major League Baseball as well. Definitely a priority as well. But when you get there, you you gotta get the job done.
So not a good ending to the regular season series against Houston, but there's really only one other thing that matters, and that's really all else I have to say at this point. Figure it out for October. Figure it out, guys. And I'll be perfectly satisfied at that point. So after that, the Yankees would shuttle on over to Baltimore to play a three-game set that just wrapped up earlier, about an hour ago at the time I'm taping now. First game would be really, really hectic. <laughs> really wild. Taking the mound for the Yankees would be Jameson Tyone. And again, he did not have it. And if you take away the last start that he had against Boston, last bunch of starts, half a dozen starts other than that, including this one, Tyone has really not been good. It goes back to what I was saying about potentially skipping his spot in the rotation a couple of times. Maybe just he needs some rest. I don't know what the deal is, but the guy cannot seem to get a grasp on his stuff anymore. He has been bad. And I know you got to regress to the mean, especially just as the Yankee pitching as a whole because of how great they had been otherwise prior to them taking a bit of a step back the last few weeks or so. But I mean, for Tyo, and it's been... I think it's been a little bit more than just a regression to the mean. The guy's really struggled. On this night, he only lasted on a Friday night, only lasted two and two-thirds. Four hits, two earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts. Might not sound like all too much, but when you were watching it, you could notice that just he had nothing. He was all over the place. And it was annoying to watch because the Yankees actually did jump out first with the lead. Aaron Judge's this 35th home run of the year, obviously to left center field, gave the Yankees a 3 to nothing lead, another just three-run absolute freaking missile. So that was nice. But then in the bottom of the third, this would be Tyone's last inning of work. I mean, he didn't really look like he had too much in the first couple innings, but then in the third inning, he just started to unravel. And fortunately, the Yankees took him out before too much more damage happened at all. Because in that third, he gave up an RBI double to Jorge Mateo, former Yankee prospect Jorge Mateo. And then an RBI single to Cedric Mullins. That made it 3-2. to two. Fortunately, they yanked him out of the game and brought in Litke, who... Would end up getting the win on the day. He went two and a third, shut out, three strikeouts, did a very nice job, dropping his ERA to 288. And Licky may have had a really rough start, but I have mentioned this. Last couple of months, he has really bounced back, and it's really nice to see. For the most part, he has really been better. So Licky came in and gave the Yankees some needed length after Ty only went two and two thirds. So really nice job giving some length by Licky. And in that time that Litke was giving that length, fortunately, the Yankees were able to add on a few more runs. Jose Trevino in the top of the fourth RBI double. I mean, I mentioned before, not only did he go four for four today, like I mentioned earlier, but just what a weekend overall he had with this game and today, because he was off last night. But RBI double to make it four to two. Aaron Judge, a second home run, is 36th of the year, 465 feet over both bullpens in left center field. Most players don't make it past the first bullpen in left center field. And in Camden Yards, one bullpen is basically on top of the other. He went over both bullpens. (laughs) (sighs) There's nothing left to say about Judge. There's nothing left to say to describe the historic just amazingness that we are witnessing in front of our very eyes. One of the better seasons in Yankee history, it'll probably end up being ultimately, it already is, but ultimately even more so once it's all said and done. 
especially if it results in a championship. But there's just nothing else to add to how godly he's been that hasn't already been said. But this solo shot made it 5-2. to two. Isaiah kiner falefa with an RBI single made it 6-2. to two. Luizaga came in to pitch the sixth inning. He did allow a run on an RBI ground out to Ramon Arias that made it 6-3, to three, but no big deal. Otherwise, Luizaga did okay. Top of the seventh, and thank God he did this. Joey Gallo, with a very rare appearance of doing absolutely anything, hit a solo shot to dead center field. That made it 7-3, and a lot of people consider that, you know, a home run to make it, to expand what was already a pretty decent lead, but it would prove helpful ultimately. It would. And even though I have been long out of patience with Joey Gallo, and as bad as I feel for the guy, and I don't have a problem with him personally, just acknowledge that it has not worked out here, and he needs to, he needs to be out of here as soon as possible. That run would end up being very important. I'll give that to him. Because the Yankees did... The thing that really spells out asking for trouble. And that is bringing Aroldis Chapman in at any capacity. I don't care if you are winning by a football score like the Blue Jays were over the Red Sox on Friday. Like 28 to 5. I personally, and it seems like everybody else is too, am through with putting Aroldis Chapman in any game, regardless of the score. And I know some people say they they might have to because of the money he's getting paid and they can't just release him as much as we'd all love that. I'm just done. I'm over it. I'm over seeing this guy pitch. He cannot pitch anymore. All he has to show for is a mediocre, frequently hanging slider a splitter that he seems to have just forgotten about, and a fastball that not only does he not throw hard anymore, as hard as he used to, still throw 98-99, yeah, that's hard, but considering to what he used to throw to compared to that, and the fact that he has no control over it whatsoever anymore, spikes it in the dirt, puts it 20 feet to the right side of the catcher all the way to the backstop, puts it 20 feet over the catcher's head to the backstop, no control! The guy's got nothing anymore. He's got nothing. He's washed. And if I end up coming back to to have my words bite me in the ass after saying this months down the line, if he happens to find whatever the Yankees seem to hope that he's going to find, even though it really just doesn't seem like he's finding anything anymore, considering he is statistically the worst reliever in baseball just about. If these words end up coming back to bite me in the ass, and fine, whatever. But right now, at this point in time on July 24th, you cannot tell me. That I and everybody else in the world who feels this way, and basically everybody else does, even if they didn't, I'd still feel this way as long as it's true, and it is. You cannot blame me or anybody else for not wanting to see this guy in any baseball games anymore. It's gotten to be too much. No lead is safe with this guy on the mound. When is enough enough. He's done. And here, again, he would make what was looking to be shaping up to be a very comfortable victory made it very close. 
Freaking guy gives up a hit to Cedric Mullins. Throws a wild pitch. Allows him to advance to second. Fortunately, strikes out Adley Rushman. Throws another wild pitch. Allows Cedric to get to third. Walks Trey Mancini. And then proceeds to give up a three-run shot to Anthony Santander to make it a 7-6 to game. Immediately taken out of the game, thank God. Showered by boos like he deserves. I know a lot of people out there don't believe in booing players, but if at this point you don't believe in booing Chapman, then I guess you just truly don't believe in booing a single soul. Because if anybody deserves it, my God. <laughs> Michael King came in after him. And this was what I spoke about before when I went in on him getting hurt and how un- how sad that is for the Yankees. It's awful. Devastating blow. He would only pitch an inning, scoreless as per usual with the season he's had. Unbelievable year. And it seems like these are going to be his final numbers after this. Taken out of the game with a fractured elbow after going an inning scoreless. And unfortunately, this would have to result in the Yankees pushing Clay Holmes a bit as well. Clay Holmes had to get a five-out save, but fortunately he did, and the Yankees held on for the 7-6 victory. Clay Holmes, an inning and two-thirds, five outs, striking out three, would hold the Orioles off for his 17th save on the year, and the Yankees would win a thrilling game. Didn't have to be thrilling or close, but Aroldis Chapman had other plans. They won 7-6, but even amidst the victory, with losing Michael King, in a lot of ways, it felt like a loss. But in the end, the Yankees would still grab the victory. Last night, last but not least, I already basically said what happened in today's game before, when I was just saying that the game had just finished, and that's really all that did happen. Basically did a full-on recap for it. So I guess we'll finish recap with this game from last night. But this was another game that the Yankees seemed like they were coasting to victory on. It's unfortunate that they didn't. They were not able to win this game. If they did, of course, this weekend would have been a sweep after a win today. But on the mound for the Yankees last night was Garrett Cole. He clearly did not have his best stuff. But he still went out there, threw a crap ton of pitches, went over 110. Again, done that over a half a dozen times this year, most in Major League Baseball. So he's really putting the... uh, the work on his arm. you got to respect it. He went six innings. His final line does not look great. but Because he didn't have his best stuff. Six innings, nine hits, four runs, three of them earned. Two walks and six strikeouts. Not the best of lines. Not the best of starts. Not necessarily the worst either. But he battled and still did the best he could. And he was pushed because especially because the bullpen was short after what happened to King the night prior. But... In those six innings, he did allow the three runs. The Yankee offense was the one that jumped out in front early again, though. Aaron Judge. <laughs> how many times are you going to say his name? I mean, it's just how many times he does something. It's a season he's having, guys. <laughs> what am I going to tell you? Top of the first. RBI double made it one to nothing. Like I said before, also in briefly mentioning this game, top of the second, Matt Carpenter, solo bomb, two to nothing. Top of the fourth, Aaron Judge, RBI single, <laughs> three to nothing. Bottom of the fifth, Garrett Cole would start to actually give up some runs. He had gotten into a lot of trouble innings prior, but managed to escape all of them up to this point. Bottom of the fifth, RBI single to Cedric Mullins, and an RBI double to Adley Rushman that made it 3-2. to two. So the game was obviously much closer now. Bottom of the seventh, this is when it all came apart. This was when Cole had started the inning, and it did not go well. So he started the seventh inning. 
over 110 pitches going over that would give up a double to lead off the inning to Arias and then a single to Jorge Mateo right after that to tie the game at three and that was when Boone had finally seen enough and took Garrett out of the game with Jorge Mateo still on first being Garrett's responsibility they'd bring in Albert Abreu who immediately before even throwing a pitch (laughs) would try to pick off Mateo and just threw the ball right past DJ, who was playing first last night. So a nice throwing error, horrific one by Abreu coming right in out of the bullpen. And that would allow Jorge Mateo, who is lightning speed fast, to advance all the way to third base, followed by a sacrifice fly by Cedric Mullins to allow the Orioles to take a 4-3 lead. The run would not be earned to Cole since Mateo was his responsibility. But because the run still scored... That would be the go-ahead run, and Cole did have him on base. So since the Yankees would end up losing, Cole would unfortunately have to take another unfair loss. He's taken a couple of them this year. His record's now 9-3, and three, which, you know, I don't really care much about record, but I do on nights where they have to take an unfair loss like this. Albert would escape the inning without allowing anything else, but then later on in the bottom of the 8th, with Shane Green on the mound, like I mentioned, had just been signed to a major league contract, then DFA'd right after this happened. He got two outs and was looking good. But then after getting two outs, he walked Rugnetto Door and then gave up a two-run bomb to Ramon Arias to give them a 6-3 to lead. In the top of the ninth, another exhibit of the Yankees' real problem throughout the entire night, aside from the unfortunate seventh inning between Garrett Cole being pushed a bit too far and Albert Abreu's throwing error. (laughs) The real problem was the Yankees not being able to push more runs across and their disgraceful numbers at runners in scoring position. Because the Yankees actually did get a rally going in that ninth inning. DJ reached on an error by Mountcastle at first base. Aaron Judge got a hard RBI single, first and second, nobody out. Rizzo grounded up but moved the runners up to second and third. So... They at least had a chance to tack on a couple of more, even if they didn't fully catch up from their three-run deficit. But Glaber Torres would fly out to right field, and Donaldson would get called out on strikes. So, And Donaldson, by the way, I've said this a couple of times about how bad he's looked, but I'm going to have to say it again. I'm sorry. I just think Donaldson needs to retire. I think he needs to retire. I mean, between it just seems like something's bothering him injury-wise, perhaps, but also he's getting blown away. I don't know if you guys have observed this as well, but Donaldson's getting blown away on pitches like fastballs right down the middle at 92, 93 miles an hour. Sure, he's hit a few home runs this year, but, I mean, between the money on his contract and just how he's performed in general, even aside from the money that he's robbing from the Yankees right now, I mean, come on, it's not nearly enough. He's done fine with the glove, but... I don't know. I just think especially hitting-wise, it's getting just about time for him to retire. It really is. He's just not looking good at all. But anyways, not a great night for the Yankees, but like I said before, they would bounce back with their 6 to nothing win today and now go into an off day tomorrow. So they won the series in Baltimore. Very nice, especially after the doubleheader in Houston and last night's game to bounce back with a nice commanding victory today to take the series and go into their off day heading to City Field to face the Mets feeling good. Which, speaking of, for the remainder of the week, Subway Series, first two of four coming up in the total of four games that the Yankees and Mets are playing against each other this year. It'll start off at City Field, starting on Tuesday, the 26th. 
The pitching matchup will be Jordan Montgomery against Taiwan Walker, and the game will be at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. And if there is going to be a game in this quick two-game set at City Field that the Yankees win, it's going to be that first one. Because the second game at City Field, and watch this just be the complete opposite because I'm saying this, but on Wednesday the 27th, the pitching matchup is Domingo Herman against who I've heard is Max Scherzer. Yikes. <laughs> Talk about a yikes matchup. If a game is ever in the favor of the Mets, it is this one. But like I said, just because I'm saying that, watch it go the complete opposite way. <laughs> but if I had to guess, just from those pitching matchups alone, if that is, in fact, the matchup on Wednesday, I'm pretty sure it is with Scherzer going for the Mets and Herman going for the Yankees. If I had to be a betting man, which I am not, but if I were, if there's going to be a game the Yankees win, it's going to be Tuesday. If there's going to be a game the Mets win, it's going to be Wednesday. <laughs> so if it goes the way I think, it's going to be a split, which I guess I'm fine with. But that's what's coming up for the Subway Series, 7.10 p.m. Eastern, both games, Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, the Yankees finally return home again to play a four-game weekend set against the Kansas City Royals. Thursday night's game on the 28th will be at 7.05 Eastern. And the pitching matchup for that, as well as the three after that, has not been announced. So 7.05 p.m. Eastern for Thursday. Same for Friday night, the 29th. Saturday, the 30th, will be at 2.05 Eastern. And Sunday, when we speak again on July 31st, that game will be at 1.35 p.m. Eastern. And I imagine I will do next Sunday's episode after that game ends, like I have made a habit of doing on Sundays lately. But that is what's ahead for the Yankees for this coming week up until we talk again next Sunday. So, a very eventful week throughout all of baseball, a hectic week for the Yankees this past week amidst the All-Star break and everything that's happened since. Not the best record coming out of the break, even though it's only been five freaking games, but they managed to win two out of three against the Orioles, and yes, I know it's just the Orioles, but the Orioles aren't as much of a laughing stock this year as they have been in the last few years. They are just a game under 500 after this series concluded. They were over 500 just a few days ago, so... Not as much of a laughing stock anymore, definitely. They, they have especially some very good pitching. Of course, a disappointing doubleheader in Houston. But let's see what the Yankees do against the Mets, and they should have a good weekend next weekend. Should have a good weekend against the Royals. All right. The only thing that there is left to do today, my friends, is the social media segment, which I mentioned before is a Q&A. And this week, because it's been a while since we did a social media segment, I know we haven't done an unbelievable amount of them this year, just a, a lot of circumstances in my life, as you guys know, so it's just been easier in helping me do the episodes lately, but we are back with one this week, and because there's been a bit of a shortage of the social media segment in some weeks this season, I decided for this week in the return of the social media segment to give all of you the floor and ask me the questions. Have me answer whatever's on your mind. All right, so I'm probably going to read about, I don't know, I'll read like 10-ish questions and uh, just try to answer as many as I can. We'll see where this goes. All right, first question. It's only going to be on Twitter again as my last few 
social media segments have been. But the first question comes from at NYYSportsFan96, and they actually have a few questions. I'll answer them as quick as I can so I can give others their time as well. First one is, do you think Cashman will do anything in the trade deadline? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Two, who do you want for the trade deadline? And three, will the Yankees hold off the Astros for the best record in the AL? I was talking about that before for people who were thinking about that. Yeah, they very well could. They just got to keep winning. (laughs) Like I said, the last few weeks, the Yankees have actually been kind of iffy. Especially their pitching was was the main reason behind that for a while. Their offense was still being resilient. But as of the last few games, the Yankees have had some runners in scoring position issues here and there. Not so much today, but like last night, they definitely had an issue with that. And they had a lot of trouble pushing runs across against Houston on Thursday. And a few other times prior to that. So... They're going to have to keep winning, but definitely their season series results against the Astros doesn't help anything. And the two losses against them on Thursday allowed them to creep closer. So, yeah, they could very well hold it, but I don't know. It's kind of tough. They're very close, and it's still still two-plus months left to go in the season, so it's tough to tell right now. Who do I want for the trade deadline? Well, personally, I've said the Yankees could use an outfielder forever now. I definitely think that guys like Matt Carpenter— <laughs> have definitely lessened the need for an outfielder, sort of. But I definitely would still like an addition from outside, if they could get one. I know the whole vaccination thing about Benintendi has people on edge, but especially if he is willing to get vaccinated, I would never force anyone into doing that. Like I said, I'm a believer in allowing people to choose their own choices for their own bodies. But if he's willing to willing to do it, I would even more so be willing to have him high on base percentage guy, high average guy, puts the bat on the ball, solid defender. There's really not much to complain about when it comes to him at all. So I definitely would really like Benintendi. Of course, the main one everybody talks about, especially now, is Juan Soto as the sweepstakes with him seem to be heating up. Teams that seem to be in on him, I know I've heard the Cardinals being associated with him, both the Yankees and the Mets possibly. I've also heard some people saying that the chances of the Mets doing it is pretty low, but I've heard them associated with it. The Yankees, like I said earlier, have apparently at least reached out about him, as have the Dodgers and apparently the Padres. I definitely would not shy away from a Juan Soto trade. I mean, of course, you'd have to give away an arm and a leg trade-wise for him. I mean, you could say goodbye to a number of the Yankees' top prospects. 1 through 10 right now, of course, is Anthony Volpe first, followed by Oswald Peraza, Jason Dominguez, Austin Wells, Ken Waldachuk, who, by the way, how about how far and quickly Ken Waldachuk has shot up the ranks? He's in the top five now. Really impressive being in the top five. Trey Sweeney being number six, Hayden Wesneski being seven, Yoendris Gomez being eight, Luis Heel, of course, being nine, but he's out for the rest of the year with Tommy John. And then Everson Pereira. So, and also, by the way, since nothing has really happened or been announced as of yet, and it's basically the evening now, fairly long after the Yankee game has ended at this point, but I did see on Twitter somewhere that Jason Dominguez and Trey Sweeney were removed out of their games in the minors today. And Trey Sweeney was apparently going for the cycle. And it was only like a, it was a big score, but it was 12 to 8. So within four runs, not out of the game. For those two guys to be pulled out of their games, I found that to be a bit strange. I don't know. It could, of course, be nothing. But the both of them being taken out in that close of a game with Trey Sweeney 
on the verge of getting the cycle. I don't know. That 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 seemed weird to me. <laughs> and it seemed weird to a lot of people on Twitter. A lot of people were starting to go nuts already. But nothing, of course, has happened as of now. But, of course, to get a guy like Juan Soto, you would have to <laughs> clean out a lot. <laughs> Maybe even give away a person or two on the big league roster. And the Nationals have also discussed having other teams taking on Patrick Corbin's contract. So it would be a lot, as expected. You got him, you got Benintendi, you got a guy like Ian Happ as well. Bunch of different options. You could also look for pitching help, which a lot of people, names being mentioned, Luis Castillo especially, who I would love, and you'd definitely have to give away some top prospects for him as well. Maybe even some Major League Ready guys if the Reds desire. You've got Frankie Montes, some people have mentioned. So it could be starting pitching, or it could be some bullpen guys. Now, the bullpen of those three areas is probably the area where the Yankees have the most options within their own organization. And one of those options, who I believe could definitely be the biggest one to lessen the blow of Michael King, especially because of the potential role he could play as a multi-inning reliever, or even as a starter since he stretched out as that, as I was told, with AAA when he went back down. Clark Schmidt being back is a big deal. So Clark being back is huge. You also have J.P. Sears, as I said earlier. You also have Ron Marinaccio being back. And Marinaccio, before he got hurt, before he got that dead arm, unfortunately, hopefully he could pick up right where he left off, was doing a very nice job. So two guys right there to lessen the blow somewhat, especially Clark Schmidt being the closest in role to what Michael King represented and doing a great job at that before he got sent back down. He's a great guy to have back. But if you were to look externally, and now that I think about it, I'm actually going to put this tweet out right now because I want to see what other people are thinking. But I mentioned his name in prior weeks. Another name that I mentioned for potential bullpen help, I would not be opposed to a reunion with David Robertson. The guy's having a hell of a year with the Cubs. He's only on a one-year contract, so he would be a rental. Maybe that would help drive down the asking price a bit from Chicago. And every year, this doesn't even need to be said. He already knows how to handle New York. Started out here, spent a bunch of years here, on and off even. Won the World Series here in 2009. 2017, 2018, came back here. But every year he's been with the Yankees, he's done a great job. Now, I know he's even older now, and that may turn some people off to a reunion, along with the fact that he didn't leave here on the best of terms. But given how he's doing, the fact that he's a rental, the fact of how he knows New York already and knows how to handle it, and the fact that whenever he's been here, he's done a fantastic job, I would not at all be opposed to a David Robertson reunion yet again here in New York this year. I would not be opposed to that. He's only making $3.5 million. I don't know what the Cubs would ask for. Maybe it would depend if you were to group Ian Happen with him, which I don't think will happen. But it all depends. The Yankees might at least inquire on doing such a thing and having Robertson and Ian Happen. I mean, we'd have to see. I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't think Soto's going to happen, but I could be wrong. Who the hell knows? As much as I would love either of those options, I don't think Soto's going to happen especially. But that, that's really how I feel about the trade deadline coming up. The possibilities, what I would like. I definitely like some starting pitching help, especially because I definitely do think some outer external help with that could definitely help compensate for the bullpen as well for the loss of Michael King. The bullpen, like I said, does have some of its own internal options. 
within this organization to help out with that in guys like Schmidt, Marinaccio, and so on. If Loisaga finds himself again, that would be huge. You can't expect much out of him because this will be his first time back in over a year, but in not too long necessarily, you'll have Zach Britton back eventually as well. So there are options for the bullpen. And as far as offense or outfield, which is where main help on offense is needed, if you're not going to mention other positions like shortstop with IKF or anything, but primarily outfield, definitely, you know, Juan Soto's the main big name out there, even though I don't think the Yankees are going to do it ultimately. If they do, I would be ecstatic. Of course, it all depends who's given up, but I would be ecstatic about it for a generational talent like that. I mean, you got to be willing to give up almost anybody just about. But then there's also guys like Benintendi who would be great. I know there's the vaccination fears and everything and him not being able to play potential games in Toronto, especially if it were to be in the playoffs. But Benintendi would be a great trade. Again, depending on who would be given up. But he would just be a great guy to have in the team. Lefty hitter, puts the bat on the ball, gets on base a lot. Solid defender. What's there to complain about? All right, let's keep on going. I spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> Up next is my friend Mike Nelson at MD Nelly. And Mike asks, you have to trade for either Soto or Castillo. Forget the cost. The caveat is you trade for Soto and commit to signing him so you lose Judge. Which trade are you making? I don't want to lose Judge, dude. Because if you got to give up a crap ton for Soto and then end up losing Judge eventually who's basically the face of not only this team, but baseball at large at this point. Then you also have to account for the, to account for the fact that you might not, if you don't win this year and you're sacrificing the future for Soto, you're not winning this year, possibly. Losing Judge ultimately, and then the future is going to be screwed too. So if the caveat is you have to commit to signing him and you're definitely losing judge i plus giving away what you'd have to i i don't do that i don't i would definitely go for castillo it'd be it'd be a tough decision in itself even without the caveat but because i do value especially with michael king going down and severino going down and when he comes back who knows what you're going to get i i very much that turns my attention to the pitching even more so than it was before. So, especially with this caveat, though, I've, I've definitely got to make the trade for Castillo, Mike. Up next is James at Rebirth Chaos 09. And James says, with the loss of Michael King, who should the Yankees target at the deadline? Well, I gave all my thoughts before. But if it were to be the bullpen, if you're to look externally, a guy like David Robertson, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to at all. Uh, another name I've heard mentioned from some people, Kendall Graveman, maybe. Um, for the outfield, of course, the big names like Soto, Benintendi, prior names mentioned, Ian Happ, even a Brian Reynolds on the Pirates, which I don't see happening. Just a bunch, but I would, I would be perfectly fine with getting Castillo and then getting maybe Benintendi, depending on the whole vaccine thing, because I would definitely think if the Yankees are to play Toronto in the playoffs, you'd definitely need Benintendi out there helping out. I mean... You know, otherwise, what's the point if you end up losing the series? He could have helped you, and <laughs> what's the point? But I'd be fine with getting those two, and then if you're to add a bullpen option externally to maybe David Robertson with them, that's a lot. I don't know if Cashman's going to do that much. I definitely expect Cashman to make moves. I just don't know if it's going to be that, that many of them. But if I had to settle for just starting pitching in Castillo and outfield in Benintendi or... <laughs> in ungodly fashion, even Soto. 
I'd be perfectly fine with that. I just need some moves made. Next is at its underscore bleach bit. And they ask if you had to keep one, who do you keep, Gallo or Chapman, and why? You know, this is really funny that I get this question because my brother, my brother Thomas, literally asked this exact same question to me on Friday night amidst a world as Chapman completely falling apart. And I even answered it in a tweet earlier yesterday. <laughs> I even took the Twitter and answered it publicly on top of having given my brother the answer in two seconds when he asked me on Friday night. And my answer to this question very quickly and simply was Joey Gallo. It did not even take any sort of a thought process whatsoever to answer this question. Because although I know being a nice guy, being a good guy doesn't help to win games, doesn't help in contributing to the team on the field, maybe it'll help with certain things in the clubhouse and off the field and whatnot with team chemistry, but doesn't help on the field. And the fact that Joey Gallo, of course, just cannot hit here, it's just not working out. It's the definition of just not working. <laughs> um, at least he still has a has a respectable glove. And he's a half-decent person. Chapman has done some questionable things in his personal life, to say the least. And he's completely washed. (laughs) With no sign of finding anything. So, the answer is quite simple to me. The fact that no lead on the face of the earth is safe underneath Aroldis Chapman... The fact that he seems completely washed with a mediocre, hanging, extremely hittable slider, forgetting about his splitter, and his fastball just being non-existent anymore, having less than no control over it, contributing nothing to the team, and just asking, it's asking for trouble when you bring him in no matter what the score is. And that Joey Gallo maybe has... One or two redeeming qualities left about him, even though I do agree it's not working out here and he has to go. The answer's got to be Gallo. There's there's no question. I would rather watch Joey Gallo strike out in every single future at-bat with the Yankees for the rest of eternity rather than watch one more outing of Aroldis Chapman and his grinning after he gets destroyed. Sure, was he good in years past? Yeah, he was. Was he good up to the Altuve home run in 2019? Yeah, he was. Has he had some good moments since then? Yeah, he has. But for the vast majority of the time, especially since just before the midway point of last year, my God, is the guy washed. And between both him and Gallo, I don't know what the Yankees are looking to find in either of them, but if I had to take a choice, my God, is it Joey Gallo? I'd rather him in five seconds, less than five seconds, a nanosecond. Doesn't even require any sort of a thought process for that. But it's just really funny how you happen to ask that question like right after my brother asked it to me. It's really funny. Up next is at Savage Empire Pod. And they ask, when is the team up that nobody asked for going to happen? A Savage Empire Yapping Yankees crossover episode. Yankees Twitter needs this. Damn. (laughs) We'll have to have a conversation, my friend. (laughs) Listen, I'm always down to collaborating with my fellow Yankee content creators out there. I love most of them. Awesome people. So I would definitely be really down for that. At Laura underscore Icemont asks, 
Which area would you prefer the Yankees to address by the trade deadline? Pitching or adding another bat? I know recently the bats have not been great with runners in scoring position, putting up competitive bats in some games. But it, And I know if you, if you have the opportunity to pick up Juan Soto, even if it's giving away a lot, that you, you can't really turn that away. And I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. Please don't misunderstand me. But at this point, especially with Severino not knowing what's going to be with him 100%, with losing Michael King, even though they have their internal bullpen options out there, with how great Luis Castillo is, and if you are to acquire him, how cracked this Yankee rotation would be, <laughs> I have to look to pitching a bit more so and say that I would just love that they got Castillo. I think it's the more realistic option, more so than Soto, even though getting Luis Castillo in its own right won't be too easy. But I just think just about anything is more realistic than Soto. I'm not saying Soto's impossible or that I wouldn't love it, but I just think it's more realistic, more doable, more likely. And I definitely think that it would be a great area to address. You could never have too much pitching. And the pitching was a reason why the Yankees have been losing some games the last few weeks. A bit more than they were losing before that. They haven't necessarily had the best of Julys. And the pitching was a reason for that, although being great prior to that. And they could still find it again. Guys like Tyone, who have really struggled. But it's tough, because as of now, it's up to interpretation. It's up to opinion. There's no definitive right answer. But I would have to go with Castillo. Because getting Castillo would just... It would be unbelievable. The kid's a stud. But I'd be fine with either. Please, don't get me wrong. I'd be very happy with Benintendi. I'd be very happy with Soto. Benintendi, of course, with the vaccine thing factored in, as I keep making sure that I mention. <laughs> Rebecca at Peace Now for Life asks, If it was up to you 100%, what trades are you making before the deadline? And realistically, what do you think Cashman does before the deadline? Well, if it were up to me, like I said, a Soto especially or Benintendi with a Castillo would be ideal. I would not mind a Montes either. I, I just, those are the moves that I believe. Like I've said with every question, I knew that this Q&A was going to be vast majority deadline questions, probably even more so with the discussion on this next week, since by next Sunday, the deadline will only be a couple of days away, depending on what happens this week. A move could still happen this week leading up to the deadline, and we'll have that to talk about next week. But if nothing's happened by next Sunday, the discussion's going to be even crazier as we get closer and closer. And then the following Sunday, we'll have to recap what happened up to the deadline and what moves the Yankees do or don't make. So next couple of weeks are going to be very, very interesting, very fun stuff. But yeah, I already more or less answered that one. Realistically, what do I think Cashman does? That's... The realistic aspect of it, that's where I say that I just don't think Soto is very realistic. The Yankees may be asking about him, which of course is important. It's nice to know that your team is at least in on the sweepstakes and not just completely neglecting it, but I think that's the least realistic of all of the possibilities that have been mentioned and discussed of happening. I think that's the least possible. Up next is at Sean 9966-0764, and he says, with the recent pitcher going down to injury, should Cash get a starting pitcher? Yeah, definitely couldn't hurt. Luis Castillo's my guy. I wouldn't mind a Frankie Montes either, which is a name that's been mentioned since the offseason, as we've spoken about. So, definitely would not mind either of those two, and it, and it could definitely help the bullpen too. You get a solid rotation guys that give you length constantly, then that's less usage with the bullpen. So, 
at Yankee Ken asks, who would you give up in a trade for Luis Castillo? Uh, it depends who the Reds ask for. These are tough questions because it's, it's more or less something you have to answer after the fact and be like, I don't know. That's may- maybe too much or maybe it was a steal. But if it were to be for Luis Castillo, I'd maybe be willing to give up a Peraza. Maybe uh, maybe Trey Sweeney. I know it'd probably be kind of odd the both of them going together, two shortstop prospects. But the Yankees have multiple shortstop prospects, Sweeney, Peraza, Volpe. So you could part with at least one of them. I mean, I don't want to get rid of Volpe personally. So it'd probably be Peraza or Sweeney. Maybe Waldachuk. Maybe Wesneski. I don't know, maybe a couple of those guys. and You're going to have to give up top prospects, especially if you're getting Juan Soto. You're going to have to give up even more top prospects in the case of him. Take on Corbin's contract, maybe a major league guy in the major league roster. People are mentioning Glaber. I mean, even some others are mentioning DJ, which I don't think is going to happen. Don't really want that to happen. <laughs> um, then again, it is Juan Soto. I know. I know. I hear you guys out there. <laughs> even though I don't, I do. I'd have to think about Jason Dominguez. It's tough. It's tough. The only one of the top 10 that I'd really just say no to just about anything, Soto would get me thinking a little bit about it, but I'd probably still ultimately say no is Volpe. I'm just, I'm very resistant on him. I really am. But just about anybody else would be on the chopping block for me, especially if it were to get a guy like Luis Castillo or especially Soto. But it's tough. That That's a question that you got to really analyze after the trade's done and be like, oh, I think that was a stealer. Oh, I think they gave away too much. But, yeah, it's a tough one. It's tough. You have to look at the prospect list and decide for yourself. Next, we have Spencer at Musician DMD. Spencer says, I feel King's injury was a pivotal moment for this season's Yankees. It compounded the loss of Green and the struggles of Chapman, even Lewisica. Unless the Yankees make a transaction by August 2nd, how concerned are you about the bullpen now? How confident are you in the team's resilience? Well, as we've spoken about, the team may not be in tip-top condition the last few weeks. They've actually just been kind of just fine, I guess, at best. But fortunately, their historic start, and their still historic record, they're still, what are they, 66-31 and 31 after today's win? Let me just double, yeah, 66-31, six, I was right. So listen, their record's still fantastic. I'm not downplaying that. But I'm just speaking from this month mostly so far in July. Um, fortunately, their historic start allows them to go on a stretch where they're just all right for a little bit, and they still end up finishing with an unbelievable record. Um, but I still believe in their resilience. I do. I believe in this team very much. So while King's injury is a humongous blow, which I have definitely not understated on this episode, I have I have definitely hit home at how big of a loss Michael King is for the rest of the year. Green's gone as well as we know. Chapman stinks to high heaven. Loisaga's still finding himself. I'm still a Loisaga believer. I'm still believing in my boy that he'll find it. But basically those bullpen aspects that I mentioned before, a guy like Marinaccio coming back is good. Clark Schmidt's probably the best guy you could get back, bring him back up from AAA, especially to fill in, probably the closest one to fill in a Michael King role is Clark Schmidt. And if you were to have a reunion like that of David Robertson, that'd be great, which by the way, I did put that tweet out about how many people would be willing for that reunion. I'm getting all yeses. (laughs) So good for me. (laughs) <laughs> of thinking about D-Rob and putting this out to the Twitter masses. 
It is making its rounds big time. I got a bunch of replies already. It's blowing up. I don't think there's a single no. Yeah, I don't see a single no. I'm just scrolling right now, just taking a look. No, I don't see a single no. Unbelievable, yeah. Alright, so everybody's in agreement with me, I guess. At least everybody replying to this, a lot of people. So, D-Rob, if you're up for a New York reunion, the Yankees are willing to get you back. It's a good enough trade to the Cubs' liking. Come on back here. Help out the back end of the bullpen, my man. I'm down for it. But yeah, Spencer, I'm, I'm, I believe in the bullpen. I mean, I'm still devastated by Michael King, as is everybody. But Clark Schmidt coming back, especially seeing how great he still was today. Yes, it's the Orioles, I know. But still seeing that today, just having that reminder, hearing that Marinaccio's coming back, it helped boost my confidence back up a little bit as far as the bullpen. But I definitely wouldn't mind getting some external reinforcements in the likes of somebody like David Robertson who, again, is having a great year at Chicago and would only be a rental, has done great with the Yankees whenever he's been here. So I'm I'm confident in, in the team's resilience. It is definitely a test of character, a test for a team to lose someone like Michael King, who has been as important as he's been to the Yankees, but I think they'll be okay. All right, let's do two more. I think I've done at least 10 by now. So we'll finish off with our usual two, being my girlfriend Vic and then my mom. My girlfriend Vic at Vic Salimo asks, Okay, so how far should we send Chapman out of this galaxy? As far as the rocket will take him, my love. As far as the rocket can possibly go. <laughs> and then she asks, No, but seriously, with King on the injured list and these recent moves made by the Yankees pitching-wise with the roster, how are you feeling and what moves would you make to keep us afloat otherwise? Well, like I said, big fan of Schmidt coming back. Big fan of Marinaccio coming back. Hopefully he picks up right where he left off before he got the dead arm. And, but other moves, I mean, I've, I've mentioned them. Um, definitely would love, <laughs> love Soto. Benintendi I'd be fine with. And Ian Happ I'd be fine with. Pitching-wise, Luis Castillo, Frankie Montes, either one of those two, I'd be fine with. Even if it were just to be in one or two of these categories I mentioned, I'd be fine with. Just those names are amongst the ones that I like. I don't expect to get all of them together. <laughs> just mentioning the ones that I would like, even if they're the only move or one of two moves to be made at the deadline. So I guess those best answer your questions, Vic, especially the one about Chapman. How far out of the galaxy should we send him? Again, the answer is just as far as the rocket is willing to go. And last but not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. My mom asks, how long do you think it'll take for the Yankees to let Chapman go, even if Michael King is out? <laughs> Similar question to Vic. Even if he's protected by contract and making a lot of money, do you think they'll bench him and bring up maybe some other prospects, bring up more people to help out the bullpen with this unexpected injury of one of our best relievers? On another note, pay Judge what he wants and more and call him captain. Well, he certainly acts like a captain, and pay the man, I think everybody will easily agree with you on that, Mom. Especially me. So, definitely hear you there. As far as Chapman, I mean, they already have made their roster moves. These were asked yesterday, by the way, the Q&As, like they are every Saturday for every social media segment, so take this into account timing-wise. But, yeah, I mean, Clark Schmidt being back is great. Ron Marinaccio coming back is really cool. And hopefully if they are to get a David Robertson, that helps even more with reinforcements with the bullpen. So, 
My God in heaven. Another hour and a half plus episode, guys. <laughs> Unbelievable. Try to shut me up. You can't. But I'll do my best to shut myself up right now because with that being said, that is all for episode 147 of Yapping Yankees today, guys. Remember to follow me on all socials, Mike Scudero NY on Facebook, Twitter at Mike Scudero, and Instagram at Mike Scuds 97. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on and show your love on all of them. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you've missed any past episodes, well, I've got you covered there too, because you can hear episodes 34 up to episode 147 today on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, going all the way back to episode 1, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today, my friends, as always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, the final day of July, July 31st, when I come at you with episode 148 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, enjoy the Subway Series on Tuesday and Wednesday, and the series against the Royals next weekend as well, as well as the continued blazing hot rumors heading up to the August 2nd deadline, which will be much closer, only two days away, by the time I talk to you next Sunday. So I will talk to you then, guys. Enjoy your week, and take care. (laughs) 